Well, good morning, everybody here in the house and watching us online. Let's start uh, this morning with a word of prayer, okay? Oh, Lord, I, I love you because you hear and you answer my prayers. Because you bend down and listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Lord, what a blessing it is to pray. By your Son, Jesus Christ, through your Son, Jesus Christ, we have, we have access to you. We can pray here in, in this house. We can pray in our car. We can pray at work, at school. Lord, wherever we are, we have access to you. And what a blessing it is to be able to talk with you. Lord, I don't even know. I, I can fully fathom the amount of, of physical, mental, emotional health that is available because, because I can, because we can pray. Lord, I was just thinking on the way to church this morning, some of the things that are going on in my, my personal life, my family, my church. Lord, what's going on in our nation and, and what a blessing it is to be able to talk with you about all of that. Oh, Lord, we just want to take a moment here just to, to talk with you about what's on our heart. Oh, Lord, for each one praying right now, I, I just pray, I pray for peace. I pray for your presence, for guidance. Pray for an answer. I pray for healing, for help, for strength, for courage. Oh, Lord, in, in every one of our prayers, may we see how good and faithful you are. Thank you for hearing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm a little bit red, white, and well, I'm not a little bit. I'm, I'm red, white, and blue today. It's been a little patriotic. We put Randy in a U-Haul and sent him on his way to, to Fort Benning today. Uh, he's starting basic officer in a week or so, and then got ranger school down the path. And, and uh, he was sharing with his sister what, what he was going to be doing. And his sister summed it up by saying, so you're going to summer camp? And uh, so that, that's, yeah, would you pray for Randy? He's on his way to summer camp uh, here. But uh, so I, I'm not exactly sure how the Army does this, but I guess you, uh, there's a, a handful of posts around the country where you go and take a, a basic officer course. Where Randy's going and Benning is, is all of the combat arms, so infantry, armor, field artillery, those kinds of things. And then, of course, there's a, a big basic officer course at Fort Lee. And that, that would be, you know, you imagine a lot of your logistic uh, uh, branches in the Army. And so Randy has a lot of classmates that are at Fort Lee right now. They, they arrived a week ago. They're arriving today. They're arriving this coming week. They kind of come in phases, but they're arriving at Fort Lee to get started out there. So we were at dinner Oh, I don't remember, Wednesday, Thursday night, we were at dinner one night this week, and uh, we were talking, and Randy got a, a text from one of his friends that had, had just got to Fort Lee, and uh, he was saying, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a church, and I remembered you're, you're from this area, and he said, I've been talking to a lot of people here, and he's, I said, I've had about four or five people, and they all, they all say go to the heights, 
And um, he says, now I haven't heard any, well, yeah, wait, wait. He, then he says, they said, he says, I haven't heard anything about their theology. Well, it's excellent, of course, but, but he said this, I've heard this church really loves their community. Isn't that credible, folks? That's what you're, that's what you're doing. That's why we're trying to, to picture in these moments. But, that, that, man, that's our, that's our vision. And now you have people arriving here in town, and, and they're talking to people. And that's, that's how our church is being described and, and, and how you are being described. And I was so excited Randy started reading that. Of course, then he said, have you heard of this church? And Randy said, no, I have never been there. So, but <laughs> anyway, isn't, isn't that exciting, folks? Think people arriving into town are, are, are learning about the Heights and it's being described as a place that, that really loves its community. So uh, thank you, as Dale said a moment ago, for what you're, what you're doing there. So here we are living in this new COVID world. Everything is becoming touchless. I, I almost always have my phone with me, just like you do, but I, I thought the other night we were again we were going out to dinner I thought I'm not going to take my phone just you know going to get free from that and I get in the only menus with a QR code and I can't I can't get the menu because I don't have my phone with me so you know we here at church man we're we're moving away from a lot of that who knows if we'll ever have a bulletin uh, again of course it's it's available online but you know when you start thinking about how are we going to know who people are you know, that, that's why we like that piece of paper, that bulletin, or you think about it, you go to a ball game, you go to a play, a musical, we, we want to get that playbill, we want to get that program and see who that person is. And I was thinking about how many times I've looked up to see, you know, who just sang or who's on second, and you looked at, and the name means nothing to you. But you want to look anyway, don't you? If you're watching somebody, what is their name? Well, apparently God knows that we're like this. And, and, you know, where do, where do you find the list of characters? Right in the middle of the progr- program. And that's exactly where we are in Revelation. And right here in the middle of this great drama called the Great Tribulation, God puts a playbill. God, God puts a list of characters. That's what we have uh, in chapters 11 through 13. As a matter of fact, let me, let me show you this up here. You've got uh, the key players, if you will. We've got the, the two witnesses. All right. These are the nine key players all the, all the way through. Two witnesses. We've got a woman, a dragon, a male child, Michael, and the rest of her offspring might be wondering what some of that is. And then, uh, the beast of the sea. And the beast of the earth, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now, as you look at that, if you were here last week, you know we were in chapter 11 and we looked at the the two witnesses. The next two Sundays will be in chapter 13. We'll be looking at the, the Antichrist and the false prophet. So that brings us here today to all those others right there that appear to be in chapter 12, these other five characters. Now, you'll remember I said, I and mean, I've said it a lot of times now, you've probably picked this up at one sermon or another, one of the challenges of understanding Revelation, of knowing where you are in Revelation, is that it'll move chronologically. There's action. It's moving you from one day to the next, one month to the next in the middle of this seven years. And then you stop and you get some supplemental information. 
And, and then you pick up and you go again and you're moving along chronologically and then you stop and you get some supplemental information. And sometimes the tricky thing about this supplemental information is it can take you back into something you've already covered. It can take you forward to where you've not yet been or it can do both. It can take you backwards and forwards. And that's where we get kind of lost and go, where in the world am I in the middle of all this? And so, but that's, that's kind of what's happening. And we're in a big place of supplemental information. If you notice chapter 11 through 13. So three chapters basically giving us information about the characters that make up the revelation or make up the tribulation. So today we're going to be in chapter 12 and look at those five characters that we saw there. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to read the whole chapter. This one is going to sound a little sci-fi. It's going to sound like it's almost like fantasy writing. So, you know, just hold on to that. But we're going to come back and see how just real and clear that it is. Chapter 12, verse 1. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days or three and a half years. We see that number a whole lot. There's seven year tribulation, but everything's kind of broken into these three and a half year segments. Verse seven, then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power. And the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has a little time. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child, but she was given two wings like those of a great eagle, so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. That's actually a phrase drawn out of the Old Testament. And guess how much that time is symbolic of? 
three and a half years. <laughs> Just say three and a half years. There's a good chance you're right uh, on anything here. Verse 15, then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. I, I, I love that line. You got your own Bible. I, I'd underline that one. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Verse 18, then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. Okay, can you picture that in your mind? You got the dragon, you've got Satan standing there on the shore of the sea. Now with that vision in mind, let's just read one sentence in chapter 13. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Somebody different from Satan but it's what's going to be a really important character. So we'll come back to that in just a moment. So if you are familiar with the Bible story, and I imagine we have one or two in here that have a kind of a grasp of what's gone on in the scriptures and the story of the Bible, you might read portions of chapter 12 or a lot of chapter 12 and say, this sounds like the past. This sounds like things that have already happened. Like this whole Special woman giving birth to a special baby and Satan's waiting there to kill it. That kind of sounds like what we call Christmas, doesn't it? Kind of, kind of sounds like Mary, Jesus, and, and, and there's Satan ready to, to get this baby. Or this whole description of waging war against Satan and him being kicked out of heaven with one third of the stars. And stars, both Old and New Testament, are sometimes the word used to refer to angels. And, and we know, okay, when Satan fell, he, he convinced, he influenced a third of the angels to go with them. But we, that's a past event, right? That, that, all that's taken place. So you've got all this stuff here that really sounds like the past. Are you ready for this? Nothing in chapter 12 is in the past. We haven't read anything in that chapter that was something that has already happened. These are all events that are going to take place inside the 1260 days, inside the time, times, and half a time. This is all inside the tribulation. So if it's in the tribulation, and this wasn't a reference to Christmas or Satan being kicked out, a, you, you know, many years ago, millennia, then what is this? Who are these people and what's happening here? Well, that's why we have a playbill. That, that, that's why we have a list of the characters here. So what we're going to do, let's, let's work through five of these right now. And, and since we just kind of excluded Mary from being the woman, Mary's not the one here, then, then who is this woman? Well, we know she's very fashionable. I mean, my goodness, if you can actually wear the sun and the moon and the stars, you're going to draw attention, you know, or maybe there's something symbolic about her outfit. Listen to Genesis, the whole other end of the Bible, the very beginning. Listen to Genesis 37 verse 9. Soon Joseph had another dream, and he again, again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars have bowed down to me. Now, who is Joseph talking about? The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. Who's he referring to? His family, right? 
He's talking about his family. And you say, well, yeah, but there's only 11. In Revelation, there's 12. Well, he's one of them. He's one of the brothers. He's one of the patriarchs. But he's seeing the rest of his family in this dream. So it's sun, moon, and 11 stars bowing down to him. And by the way, that made him very popular with his brothers. You ought to read the story. Uh, But so he's picturing his family. Do you remember the name of his father? His father is Jacob, who God renamed Israel. So the sun, moon, and 12 stars is Israel. The woman here is Israel. You say, but what about all this giving of birth and pregnancy and all that? You can go all the way through the Old Testament and see a number of times that that, that imagery of pregnancy, of, of giving birth, the travailing, the, the pain, the labor pains, and all that goes with that is associated with Israel, being born as a nation, becoming a nation, surviving a, a, as a nation. A lot of times they use pregnancy imagery to to picture that. That's actually very common. So it seems quite clear that this is Israel. And to me, this is where it becomes very concrete because God is taking care of the woman where? During the, the 1260 days, during the three and a half years. Well, Mary's not there. That's not Mary that God is caring for. It is Israel. A little side note here, not really connected to Revelation, although it somewhat is. There's a number of theologies that believe that, that uh, God is done with Israel, wiped his, wiped his hands with them. Uh, they rejected the Messiah, uh, obviously at the first coming of Jesus. They have been very unfaithful to the Lord. And so finally, you know, I'm, I'm done. And beside, God has a, a new one now. He has a new Israel, a spiritual Israel, and, and that's the church. But when you look at this imagery here, Israel gives birth to the Messiah. You say, wait a minute, I thought it was Mary. Well, yes, physically speaking, it was Mary. But where did the Messiah come from? He came out of Israel. It, It is Israel that gave the world the Messiah. The church comes out of the Messiah. The church comes out of Jesus. But the whole symbolism falls apart here if the word Israel is really meant to be a spiritual Israel, if it's really meant to be the church, because the church didn't produce Jesus. That the church didn't give the world Jesus. Jesus gave the world the church. We came out of him. So again, that's a kind of a whole nother thing, but this is one place where I believe that whole idea that, that God's not still working with Israel, that, that really falls apart. I do believe in a very literal Israel. In the book of Revelation and, and throughout the New Testament, God is faithful to his promises even when we're unfaithful. Even when we can't be counted on, God can be counted on. And one of the big part of what Revelation is showing us is how God is ultimately going to be fulfilling all of the promises that he made to Israel as they come to their Messiah. So the woman here in Revelation chapter 12 is Israel. Our second character here is the dragon. Not real difficult to figure out who he is, is it? I mean, the passage just straight up tells us this is the devil, Satan, the old guy that has been accusing forever and ever. We learn so much about Satan in this passage. And there's a handful of passages throughout the Bible where we can kind of hone in and understand this, this particular angel, this, this demon, who he is, what he's like. 
Revelation 12 may be one of the most extensive passages which we can learn a lot about this dragon. Now, you, you see all the, you know, the, is he a dragon? I, I, I think quite possibly he could be. I, I don't see any reason why not to take that literal. Does he have seven heads? He could. But I do know that throughout Revelation, you're going to see several places where you see seven heads and it clearly is meant to be symbolic. Well, what is, what is it symbolic of? Well, a, a, a head can be symbolic of knowledge. It can also be symbolic of authority. The number seven would be perfection or completeness. And so the idea here of calling the dragon having seven heads is that in the realm of evil, this is the complete and total representation of the authority in that evil. The dragon is the center of the realm of evil. So I'm, whether he has seven heads or not, I, I'm quite sure there is something symbolic meant in communicating him that way. But let's look at the seven things that we learn about Satan in this chapter. Number one, he hates Israel. He hates Israel. And there's a very simple idea behind this. God's plan central to that past, present, future is Israel. And so I think Satan's thinking is, hey, if I can take Israel out, if I can destroy Israel, then I mess up God's plan. Then I keep God from bringing about his plan. And so he is constantly after Israel. This actually for you and me should be kind of a aha moment. I mean, folks, think about it. There, listen, there's, there's, there's always been a, a, a nation with least favored status. There, there's always been people groups that aren't liked or looked down on. But there's probably not been anybody other than the Jews. No matter where you go in the millennia, not the years, not the centuries, no matter where you go in the millennia, no matter where you go in the human story, there's anti-Semitism. There is a movement in the world of that day to end this group as a nation. And what a reminder to us that as physical things are playing out, things that you and I can see and smell and hear and touch, that behind all that there is a spiritual story. There is a spiritual drama unfolding that has consequences, that has an impact in the physical world. So Satan hates Israel. We learn that about him here. Number two, we learn that he is an accuser. He's an accuser of you and me. If you follow me on, on social media, you know for a, a while now, like since Easter, I got trapped by all of y'all. Uh, I, I've been doing these one-minute devotionals on, on social media. And you might remember, it's a couple of weeks ago, I, I, maybe even a little bit sooner than that, I, I talked about this, not really this passage, but the idea that Jesus describes Satan as the father of lies. Again, there's that imagery, father, mother, pregnancy. All of that imagery just means it comes out of. And so out of Satan, we have deceit and lies. That's his character. That is his nature. But there's one place that Satan tells the truth. Satan tells the truth when he stands before God and he talks about you. He doesn't have to lie. He can go before God and he can talk about your sin and my sin and he can demand that God be God. That God be holy, that God be just, and that God be right. He can stand there and demand that. 
And, and what did this passage say? He, he stands before God day and night doing that accusing. I don't know about you. That makes me a little bit nervous. Does it make you a little bit uncomfortable to think that God is constantly being reminded of our, of our failures, of our sin? Maybe next to Revelation 12.10, if you have your own Bible and a, something to write with, I, you might write out to the side of that Romans 8, verse 31 to 34. Just write that out next to Revelation 12.10. The bad news, somebody's always telling on you. The good news, somebody else has got your back. Romans, I said write Romans 8, 31 to 34. I'm not going to read all of it, but let me pull a, pull a phrase out of verse 33. Who dares accuse us uh, whom God has chosen as his own? Well, we know who accuses us. Satan does. Verse 34, who then will condemn us? Well, again, that's Satan. Ah, uh, yeah, but it was Christ Jesus who died for us and who was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Yes, Satan stands before God and he accuses you. But if you are a child of God, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've given your life to being his disciple. You've given your life to following him, living like him. Then guess what? You got the best lawyer in town. Jesus stands there at the right hand of the father advocating for you, mediating for you, telling the Father, I've got this one covered. Now, this is the point in the service where all of us real quietly in our hearts say, oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) That ought to be pretty incredible news for you and me. I don't know about y'all. I I don't want to have to answer for myself. I don't want to have to explain it. I don't want to have to justify it. I don't want to have to pay for it because I know I can't. What good news that Jesus is there doing that for us. So we know Satan hates Israel. We know he's there constantly accusing us. Number three, he is a monster of monsters. I mean, just just read this description. Whether it's to be understood symbolic or literal, I mean, clearly he is being described in form and in character as cruel, as treacherous, as awesomely horrible. This is a horrible person. That's how we need to understand him. He is a monster. Number four, he is influential. One third of the angels. That's kind of a question I've got when I get to heaven. What were you guys thinking? One third of the angels. Folks, these are angels. I don't know how many years, how many millennia they lived in the presence of God. But these angels experienced his goodness. They experienced his glory, his power. It wasn't by faith. They saw him. They watched him. They never experienced anything from him but love and goodness. They were never deceived, never lied to, never tricked. God never missed an appointment. There was never a moment where he just didn't show up, none of that, and yet Satan was able to influence them to follow him. You know, when when you and I are are sinning, when you and I are walking down that path of temptation, kind of funny how we always know we got that under control, don't we? 
I, 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 I got, I got, maybe I shouldn't be exactly doing, but I got it in control. I've got it at a real minimum. Listen, when you and I are in sin or moving towards sin, you're exactly where Satan wants you. You don't have any control at all in that. You're just following his influence. We should probably remember that when we're dealing with temptation tomorrow. Number five. He hates those who follow Jesus and he wages war against them. We should also remember that when we're struggling with temptation tomorrow. Behind every temptation is a force and a power that hates you. Understand that. It may give you something in the moment. It may provide for you something in the moment. That, but that was being provided for you by somebody that hates you. Number six, those who follow him are also recipients of his fury. I'm referring to the passage here where it says when, when Satan is kicked out of heaven, he's thrown down to the earth, and it says the whole earth now is dealing with his fury and his anger. Well, folks, most people on the earth at this time are not believers. Most are unbelievers, and it says the whole earth. You know, this is something I think you and I know but maybe don't really strongly connect the dots on, Satan doesn't love. He doesn't care. He has no affection or fondness for those that are devoted to him, for those that follow in his ways. Satan does not reward There is no reward. I mean, you know, we might have in our mind, well, you know, we want to be in heaven and with God, and that's good, and I surely don't want to be in hell with Satan, and that's bad. But, you know, I I mean, I think there's almost in the back of our mind, I mean, I guess Satan does something for all these people. No, he does nothing for them. He hates those who are devoted to him. He hates them because that's his character. That's all he can do. All he can bring is death, destruction, and devouring so, so remember, <laughs> behind that temptation, behind that sin, is someone that hates you. He does not reward anyone who serves his purposes or follows him. And then lastly, he is the power behind the Antichrist. And that's what we're pointing out as we go from 12.18 to verse 13.1. And it's interesting how Satan can't do anything original. He brings nothing original. He's just a counterfeiter. And and we'll be seeing, learning that that he kind of sets up his own trinity. Now, it's not the design of the trinity. Only God can do that. But but you have Satan, uh, you have the Antichrist, and you have the false prophet. And the roles that they play with each other even somewhat mirror the holy trinity. But the, the power behind the Antichrist, again, we'll be looking at that next week, obviously a dominant figure during these seven years. Uh, The power behind that is Satan. So a lot we learn there about Satan, a lot we understand about him. Our third character, the male child. Anybody want to take a guess on who that is? Starts with a J, ends with an S. Yeah, it's, it's Jesus. That one. That one's not. Well, but I thought you said it wasn't Mary and Jesus being born. I I did say that. I didn't say it wasn't Jesus. I did say it wasn't Mary. N- notice again the timing of things here. The woman is in the tribulation. The woman is inside these twelve hundred and sixty days. But look at verse five. Where's the male child? He's at the right hand of God. 
This is already after his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. The male child is in heaven. What's he doing? He's sticking up for you because Satan's constantly up there accusing. So this is the male child is in Jesus. This male child is the one who will rule the nations. And you know, there actually I said this is not about anything in the past. I mean, obviously there is allusion to the past. When Jesus was born, I mean physically, out of Mary, Satan was there influencing. It was Satan that influenced Herod to kill all the two-year-old boys and under in and around Bethlehem. It was Satan that influenced Judas. It was Satan that influenced a crowd that had never seen Jesus do anything but heal and love and forgive and provide food to yell, crucify him. So yes, there is elements of that story. Satan has been wanting to destroy Jesus, but he missed. He failed, and Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father. So then we have Michael. Michael's our fourth character. Uh, That's maybe a name we know. There's two named angels in the Bible, Michael and Gabriel. Michael is, sometimes we refer to him as an archangel. Best we can tell from Scripture, he would be the highest of the angelic order. Daniel 12.1 calls him the chief prince. And, and his, one of his roles is protector of Israel. He is assigned to Israel. One of the important things I, th- I think we see here about Michael is it's Michael versus Satan. You know, and a lot of times in our mind, we, we think of good versus evil. We think of God versus Satan. And, and it's, it's a fight. It, it's a battle. Just like it is when it's the Red Sox versus the Yankees. Or it's this fighter versus that fighter. But the problem with verses is in our mind, that kind of presents two equals. Two people in the same thing. Two people on the same level. Two, two people on the same plane. Folks, Satan's not on the same plane as God. Satan is nothing like God. Satan is a created being. Satan is not everywhere present. He's in one spot at a time. Now, he has enough demons that his influence and his presence is felt almost everywhere. Satan is not all-knowing. But he's incredible. You know what Satan is? He's incredibly intelligent, coupled with the fact that you and I are incredibly predictable. And so he can move and work in our lives and, and, and bring, he can capitalize perfectly on our weaknesses. He can capitalize perfectly in our temptations. Not because he's all knowing, because he is intelligent and humanity is incredibly predictable. And, and, but in any way you look at Satan, he's nothing like God. Folks, there's not, remember we talked a couple weeks ago. We said the mystery of God. What's the mystery? Is that God allows this battle. He allows the presence and the existence of, a, of sin, of evil, of Satan for his good purposes for a season. And when it serves his purposes, he just speaks and Satan's done. Okay, so it's not God versus Satan as if God's up there sweating. I know I'm going to win this. I know I'm going to pull this out in the ninth inning. No, it's, it's nothing like that. And we have now arrived at the place where God is getting ready to be done with Satan. 
And he sends Michael and the angels to take care of that and kick them out of heaven. Now imagine for some of us, I keep using the word heaven and Satan and his angels up there. And this is in a future event. This is going to happen in the tribulation. And that's just weird thinking because most of us, don't we have a tendency to think of God and the good angels up there? And where are Satan and the bad angels? Down there. I mean, that's such a natural way of thinking. It's just truth. One little problem. There's no truth to it all. The scripture never describes God and his angels as up there and Satan and his as down there. I mean, we go all the way back to the very first book written in the Bible. The first one in order is Genesis, but the first one written is Job. And in Job, where is Satan? He's coming before God. He and the angels, like they're presenting themselves. Uh, they're reporting. We're here, now we're here at the other end of the Bible, Revelation 12. And where is Satan? Day and night before God accusing. So Satan and his angels, probably better than thinking up and down, is just think spiritual realm. They're all in the spiritual realm. They're all serving their purposes. And God's coming close to saying, and I'm done with you. And so he sends Michael and his angels. They easily defeat him. There's no sweat. Uh, There's no casualties among Michael and his team, okay? And they're kicked out. They come down to the earth, and and then that's where that becomes another part of the judgment of what's happening on earth is the fury that, that Satan is spewing all over the planet. So there, there, that's a little bit about Michael. Then we have, lastly, uh, her other offspring. Now, we already know who her is. It's not Mary, but it's, it's Israel, and she has other offspring. Now, again, when we're thinking in the, in the pregnancy imagery, it's coming out of. So the Messiah came out of Israel. Well, what else comes out of Israel? Followers of Jesus, Those who accept the Messiah. Now, her other offspring is not talking about Gentiles because we didn't come out of Israel, did we? Not physically, not not spiritually or any other way, symbolically. But Jewish believers will accept the Messiah. They they, they will begin to follow him. And folks, this is a time in, in human history, and I've said this a number of times, this is a incredibly hard time to be a Christian. It's an incredibly hard time to be a follower. The world hates Jews and the world hates believers. So if you're a Messianic Jew, if you're a believer in Jesus as a Jew at this time, you've got a double target on your back. You you are double the reason of what the world hates. And yet, look how they are described there in verse 17. They keep God's commandments and give testimony to Jesus. They're doing that at the hardest time ever. Then wouldn't you and I maybe set as a goal in something a little less? I didn't say not difficult. All all the way through the New Testament, Jesus, as he called people to himself, said, hey, if you come to me, there's going to be a cost. If you come to me, there's going to be difficulties. In, in, in this day and in the tribulation. But no matter the cost, no matter the difficulty, shouldn't it be our goal to be described as, but I obey God and I give testimony to Jesus. A- amen was what you say right there. Yeah. Okay, so there's, our, there's, our, there's five characters. Two takeaways, two quick takeaways from just looking at these characters today. I should have had three. 
And number one should have been what I just said. (laughs) The first takeaway is no matter what, no matter what goes on this week, could I be described as obedient to God's word and giving testimony to Jesus? Two other things that we learn, though, uh, obviously this is a bit of a repeat. Satan is a monster. There's no reward in following him, so don't. That's kind of funny for me to say that to you here in the room or watching online. I mean, I'm assuming a real high percentage of us here today are going to describe ourselves as followers of Jesus, right? I mean, that's why I'm here, because I'm a follower. I don't follow Satan. And, and that's true. We don't, except who are we following when we're sinning? I mean, we're not, we're not following God into that sin, When we're given life to temptation, because we do feed our temptation. Oh, I can't beat my temptations as I feed it. Well, stop feeding it. But when I'm walking into my temptations, who am I following in that moment? I'm following Satan. Let me just repeat myself. There will not be a reward for that. There can be a reward in the here and now. People will applaud you and think you're great and it can bring you pleasure, it can bring you revenge, it can get you something what you want. But remember, the power behind that is somebody who hates you, a monster who hates you. When we're following into that, when we're following Satan, it's literally like we are feeding our own lives to a vicious, rabid animal. And sometimes it's not in in a sin that I'm doing. Sometimes it's in our thinking. And folks, the church is always, I mean, there's books of the Bible written because believers were following the way of the world in their thinking. And we, we struggle with that just as much today. I mean, there's all kinds of examples. I mean, a huge one right now. I see so much of the church. We're just completely following the world's ideas and definitions on sex and sexuality. And there is a little bit of reward. I, I, I don't get mocked. I don't get kicked out. I, I'm not made to look like an idiot. I, I, I can be accepted. But when you're following that, just remember, there's not a reward on the other side. There, there, there is a monster. You and I think we've got to get that picture in our mind. When I'm walking in this sin, when I'm walking toward that temptation, I'm following a monster who will devour me on the other end of this. And then the second thing, the God of the details of tribulation. Wow. I kind of alluded to this last week, but man, folks, if the, if the book of Revelation is anything, it is a communication to us that the idea of God returning to this world is not, hey, here's a neat story. I think this is going to happen. I mean, you walk through this, the, the details of each judgment, where it is, why it is, what its impact will be, the details on the timing, the details on world events, the, the detail, last week, today, the next two weeks, the details being given to us on all of the characters during this time. God is a God of details. And the same God who's got all the details in the tribulation, guess what? He's got all the details in 2022. He's got all the details of your life. Now, when I say God's got the details of your life, just think of what we've come out of in in these chapters right here. God knows who the good players are and he knows who the bad, bad players are in your life. He, know, he knows where each one is. He knows the purpose that they're serving. And, and when they're done, he's done. 
but he has every detail. Shouldn't that elicit in us a great courage? Should that not elicit in us a great faith? Faith faith to do what? Obey his commands and maintain our testimony about Jesus no matter the cost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you, would you help us to be just such a people? Lord, as we walk in and out of our relationships this week, in and out of different circumstances and events, Lord, as we walk out of each one of those, let us start thinking and asking ourselves, could I, could I be described as obedient and giving testimony to Christ in that moment I just walked through? Oh, Lord, would you use this phrase to shape us like it's going to shape these who walk through the tribulation. We ask for your help in this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.